I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other God before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or not in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God visiting the inequity of the fathers on children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for God will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. To keep it holy six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long and the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. We are continuing on our journey through the Old Testament here and there have been many laws and commandments that God has given to his people up to this point. But here in Exodus chapter 20, we begin to see him really codify the law. He's giving these commands to the people, and not just for these people, but also for all of mankind. And as I read this passage in preparation for this sermon, I couldn't help but think of Adam and Eve. They only had one law. As of today, there are 1,600 varieties of banana in the world. And so God had provided for Adam and Eve all that they needed. There were thousands upon thousands of different kinds of food, fruits, vegetables in the Garden of Eden for them to eat. But there was one glaring exception, and that was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God placed right in the middle of the garden. Not on the edge of the garden, not in the back of the garden, right in the middle of the garden. Do you ever wonder why he placed it right in the middle? 
it almost seems like he's taunting them, luring them, tempting them with this off-limits tree right in the middle. Every time they're coming and going in the garden, there's this tree that's off-limits. But we recognize in James 1, 13 and 14, that no one can say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. And so, there must have been a different reason, a different intention that God had for placing this tree right in the middle of the garden. And I believe that the reason was because every commandment that we see from that moment on into the future reflects the first commandment there. Do not touch this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It all boils down to one word, contentment. From a very early age in our lives, we see this same discontent rearing its ugly head. Just watch siblings as they see their uh, brother or sister opening their presents, and you'll begin to see discontent. This intrinsic discontent we call by an uglier name, greed. The dictionary uh, definition for greed is intense and selfish desire for something, especially wealth, power, or food. And so, if you want to see greed, just uh, ask your three-year-old for a bite of their cookie, right? And you'll see greed. Or, for that matter, ask me for a bite of my cookie, and you'll begin to see this greed coming out. And so we have two tables here that are set before us in this commandment uh, list that God has given us. And each day, we have thousands of choices to eat from one of two tables the table of contentment, or the table of greed. And so, before we get into these commandments and see how they apply to our daily lives, I want to clarify one thing in regard to the law. Because here is a heavy law passage. Do this. Don't do this. And many of us begin to struggle. Well, Lord, I'm not doing it very well, so what do you think of me? In Galatians 3.19, uh, it tells us the purpose of the law that was given by Mo Moses. And I'm going to be reading from the Amplified Version here. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added later on after the promise to disclose and expose to men their guilt because of transgression and to make men more conscious of their, conscious of their sinfulness, of sin. And it was intended to be in effect until the seed, the descendant, the heir, should come to the concerning whom the promise had been made. And so in other words, the law shows us just how sinful we are, just how strong the sin nature is. And it points to the fact that without the, uh, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, we could not resist the world, the flesh, and the devil in these particular areas. And so, how do we overcome? This is the message that we are given in the New Testament. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus, we are not powerless any longer to fulfill the law. We have been given strength. We've been given power by the Spirit in order to accomplish these things. And so let's look at these commandments and briefly see how they can point to uh, contentment or greed in our lives. The first area that we're going to be looking at is in regard to our 
uh, vertical relationship. And that's the first four commandments that we see. They all have to do with the vertical relationship. And then the final six commandments have to do with our horizontal relationships. And so the first one is, you shall have no other gods. Uh, also, do not make an idol. Don't take the name of your Lord in vain. Uh, keep the Sabbath holy. These were all commandments that had to do with Israel's relationship with the Lord. But it's interesting how greatly they struggled with those. Very simple commandments. And they were continually looking around to the nations that, there, that were their neighbors, and they were looking at them and the pagan practices that they had. And so what is it that drew them? Why were they so drawn to these pagan religions here, especially since they had already seen God providing for them and all the miraculous things that God had done in their lives. I think it ultimately boiled down to an issue of faith for them because the God of the Bible is an unseen God. He's not a controllable God. He's not a tangible God. He's not like a luck charm that you can put around your neck and rub on it when you want some good luck. Atheists around the world reject this kind of God, this unseen God. They want something that's seen. They want something that they can reason with. They want something they can control. Or better yet, they want to be their own God. I have an entire message in the future that I'll be preaching on this particular issue in regard to uh, the vertical relationship. And so we're going to spend the majority of the time today looking at our horizontal relationship. The next commandment we see here in regard to our horizontal relationship is honor your father and your mother. And so what does it mean to be discontent or greedy when it comes to honoring our parents? Well, I think it mostly means not being content with the ones that you've been given. And frankly, this was a great struggle for me. I was not content with the parents that I'd been given. In fact, I had deep resentment and anger against my parents. But who was I really mad at? Was I mad at my folks? No, I was really mad at God. I was mad at God for giving me the parents that I had. Because, you know, we're all born into this. We don't have an option to pick our parents when we're born. You get the parents that you get. And so I was upset with my dad because he had abandoned us. And I thought, would my life have been much better if I had had my dad in my presence when I was growing up? And how much more nurturing would my mom, mom have been if she had not been sexually abused by her dad? And so that affected her and her parenting style with us. And so all these questions kept me from feasting uh, on the table of contentment. I was instead feasting on the table of greed. I was looking around at all the different families around me, wishing I'd had those kind of parents. And so, finally the Lord spoke to me through Romans 9, 20 through 21. And this is actually the, the, the verse that really saved me. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? And so that was really the question for me. Was I going to keep shaking my fist at the potter? Why did you make me like this? Why did you put me in this family? Or was I going to begin to 
be content with what the Lord had given me and try to see why he had placed me in the place that he had. And so I could either dwell on that greed or I could flee to Jesus and find contentment in him. And so my question is, where are you at this morning in regard to your honor of your parents? Are you content with them? Have you found peace with God about them? Or are you discontent? Do you secretly wish that you had a more loving mother? Do you feel angry because maybe your dad wasn't around, or when he was, he was bitter and uh, violent? Are you feasting at the table of greed? And if so, do you want a change of menu this morning? Jesus really wants and desires to bring you peace in this area of your life. He wants you to be content. He wants you to find forgiveness for the things that your parents did. And by the way, there are no perfect parents out there. Every single one of us that have been parents have had to go back to our kids at one time and apologize for things that we've done wrong. The most amazing thing about this commandment, I think, is that there is a promise attached to it. In fact, it's one of the only commandments in the Bible that has a promise with it. It says that if you honor your father and mother, you will live long in the land. And I find it interesting that Jack was the one that read this morning, one who's lived long in the land. And we know that greed and discontentment actually medically is bad for you. They've proved this scientifically. And so when you have bitterness in your heart, it cuts your life short. The next commandment we see listed here is do not murder. And this has at its core discontent as well, doesn't it? We see in James 4.2 it says, you desire and do not have discontentment, right? And so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. But pastor, I've never murdered anybody. Well, Jesus takes it up another level. He says, you have heard that it was said, of old you shall not murder, and whoever murders it will be liable for judgment. He's actually quoting this passage. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. How many of you have ever said, you fool, to somebody? Or something similar to it? Everybody raise your hand. You've all done it, right? We've all had bitterness in our heart. You know, just go out in traffic alone, right? Somebody cuts you off. And so according to this passage, we all fall into this category as ones who have murdered in our hearts. But note how greed causes a person to kill and to hate. We want something our own way, and what's the ultimate way of getting it? Getting rid of the person that's aggravating us or causing us not to get that thing. And so we want and we desire, but we don't get it. And what does Jesus say? Because you have not asked. Well, pastor, I asked God for this thing, and he didn't give it to me. Well, Jesus goes on to tell us the reason we didn't get it is because we asked with selfish motives. We wanted it for our own pleasure. And that's not to say that God is against pleasure. He actually designed us to be drawn to things that give us pleasure. You know, nobody wants to, you know, get pain in their life. We're drawn to things that make us comfortable. But what this verse is talking about is it's talking about hedonism, which is the act of only seeking those things which make us feel good. 
That's all my life is about. I, you know, if it doesn't make me feel good, I'm not going to do it. And so if this is the focus of your life, then you'll find more than not, you will be feeding at the Bethlehem line of greed. The next com uh, commandment we see here is, do not commit adultery. For those of you who are married, do you remember your wedding day? I remember seeing Mary standing at the entrance of the sanctuary where we were uh, being married and the music was playing and she came down the aisle and then our eyes locked, you know, we were looking at each other and in that moment I felt like we were the only people in the entire building, if not the entire world. And I could not imagine at that moment being more content because I had the woman that I'd been asking for. The Lord had provided the woman of my dreams. And that feeling has stayed with me my whole life. You know, I've had this contentment um, with the woman that God has given me. But that does not mean that I could never stumble in this area, right? Because I'm a human being, and I know that the devil is working overtime to destroy marriages. He's trying to especially take the people of God out and especially leaders in the church. If you're a leader in the church, he's really after your marriage. And so for those who begin to have uh, their eyes wandering to another table, what they begin to see is their spouse as leftovers that have probably been in the fridge a little bit too long. And so we become jealous, maybe, of another marriage. Why are they so intimate? Why do they have so much fun? Why do they like each other so much? Or maybe we spend a little bit longer than we should talking to an individual or laughing a little too hard at their jokes. And before we know it, we are feeding at the table of discontent. If you're beginning to be discouraged in your marriage, I would encourage you that there are many resources out there that are available for you. Don't let it go long without getting some help. Come talk to me and we'll get your back on track. The next commandment that we see here is do not steal. This is an obvious one about discontent, right? You want something, and so you just go out and you take it. And it doesn't get much more selfish than that. But I think if we look closer, there's a deeper root of discontentment here. It's a discontentment with our means of obtaining wealth. Because if I was the richest, most popular man in the world, I wouldn't steal. I just, if I want something, I'll just go out and buy it, right? And yet, for most of us, we don't have that kind of resources. We don't have that kind of wealth. And so, when I begin to want the things that are outside of my means, and that's the key here, right? Living within your means, that's what's called contentment. When you begin to desire outside of your means, and then begin to steal in order to do that, that's when we turn to the table of greed and discontentment. Now there are many factors in regard to our ability to obtain wealth. Uh, the job that you have, the training you have, the markets today are volatile. And so really you have very limited control over those things. James 4, 13 through 15 speaks to this issue. He says, come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and it vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, this is the key, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. 
planning on going and making a bunch of money without any prayer to the Lord, if you will. And to me, the obvious question is, sorry, to me, the obvious question is, what if the Lord does not will? What if you desire to go make money and the Lord says no? And some places they preach that the Lord never says no to wealth. If you want it and you have enough faith, you're going to get it because you're a child of the king and he's going to give you all his riches. Actually, that's a future event, by the way. You will receive all the riches of the kingdom. But in this life, if Paul is the example for us, then obviously he didn't have enough faith because he said, I know what it means to live with much and I know what it means to live with little. And so the key for Paul was being content in every circumstance, no matter where you find yourself. We can feast at the table of contentment even when we don't have enough to eat. The next commandment we see here is do not lie. This actually gave me the most difficulty in trying to, you know, for the formulation of contentment or not. But when I really began to think about the reasons why we lie, uh, it became clear to me that this is also an issue of discontent. The main reason that we lie is we are caught in a situation where we want people to think more highly of us than they will if the truth comes out. Right? You want to get away with something. You want to get away with being a worse person than you want to present yourself as. And so we lie. We don't tell the truth. If we told the truth, people would know just how bad we really are. There's a story of Charles Spurgeon, the famous preacher, and somebody came to him and said, somebody's complaining in the congregation about how grumpy you are. And Charles Spurgeon said, oh, that's not the worst of it. If you really knew me, you'd be really upset. And what he was recognizing was in his heart, you know, he was a certain way, but he presented himself in public in a way that was nice and cordial. But deep in his heart, there were things going on there that he didn't want people to know about. Because the sin nature is dece deceiving. The next commandment we see here is do not covet. This is the final one. And this has to do with our secret inward life. People might look at you and think, well, they have it all together. They seem content. You know, they, they love their house, they love their family, they love their, you know, their kids, all this kind of stuff. But they might not know how ungodly you are in your heart and how much discontentment you have. Because coveting has to do with a secret life. It's something in your mind. You're looking at other people's things, wishing you had their life. And this culture is very difficult to live in for those who want to resist coveting. Because the greed buffet is open 24 hours a day. It's called cable TV. You might be perfectly happy with your life. You might be perfectly happy with the things that you have and the clothes that you have. But just turn on the tube and suddenly you'll be like, oh, I didn't know I needed that too. And it feeds discontentment because content people don't buy much stuff. If they're content with the things they have, they don't feed the, the market, right? And so all these ads and commercials, they're trying to feed this discontent. In conclusion here this morning, in some ways it was easier, wasn't it, for Adam and Eve? They had one choice. 
one thing that they had to resist. And today we look around us and there are so many things that we have to resist. But the issue is still the same. It's still an issue of contentment. It comes down to our relationship with the Lord. Because when your eyes are on the Lord, when your eyes are on Jesus, you can be in the lowest situation. You can be poor. You can have poor health. You can have your relationships a mess. But you can be content in the midst of those because your eyes are fixed on the right place. And it's just the opposite. When our eyes are on ourselves, we'll never have enough. You'll never have enough to make yourself happy. If you think that you will, just look at the lottery winners. They had an article because it was like one point, what was it, 1.2 billion or something if you won the lotto this last week. And so they had all these past winners, right, on this article. They weren't happy. <laughs> they got the thing of their dreams, millions of dollars, and they were still not happy. And so, what was the first thing that Adam and Eve did when they realized that they had eaten from the wrong table? Well, they hid and they covered themselves. They were ashamed. But notice what God did. He gave them a promise that he would send someone to strike the serpent, that great purveyor of greed, and he would cause a fatal blow to befall him. That one was Jesus. And now as his children, we are given power over discontent. And so this week, as you belly up to whatever table you're going to belly up to, I would encourage you to choose the table of contentment. Let's pray. Father God, I know that I'm very discontent in many areas. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to find contentment as I fix my eyes on you. And Lord, help all of us too in this area. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to this sermon series from Elam. If you are encouraged today, would you consider supporting our online ministry through a financial contribution? Personal checks can be made out to Elam Lutheran Church and sent to 11504 26th Street, Northeast, Lake Stevens, Washington, 98258. Or you can give online at elamlutheran.net. Thank you and may God bless you the rest of your day.